Or maybe be bold if you have that idea that you know you're getting pretty much unanimous positive feedback. You should take that jump. And, you know, it's extremely, without a doubt, ups and downs, as every entrepreneur tells you. But it's definitely, you know, a rewarding uh, journey. And Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this MedSider interview, I sat down with Dr. Chris Ramdu, a celebrated international speaker, researcher, and educator with a keen focus on the intersection of medical science and technology. He is the CEO and creative mind behind the Tempa platform, an all-in-one ear and hearing health assessment system that has gained global recognition. Some of the accolades Dr. Ramdu and the Tempa team have received include the prestigious Royal Society of Medicine Prize for Innovation in ENT, as well as the Hardtop Dixon ENT Award. Here are a few of the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, a problem-solving framework is integral to entrepreneurship. Focus on a patient-centric issue where you can identify a clear gap with the existing technology stack. Second, seeking feedback is an important virtue across every function in a startup. However, you don't necessarily have to agree with all of the external input. Balancing feedback with your vision and understanding is vital to making better decisions. Third, your ultimate goal is to transform people into believers of your solution, whether they are investors or potential users. One of the best ways to do this is by providing them with something tangible. Showing rather than telling is a much more effective strategy for conversion. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we just released the latest edition of MedSider Mentors Volume 3, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Jim Persley, CEO of Hinge Health, Carol Burns, CEO of Cajun Vascular, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups of the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Krish, welcome to MedSider. Really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks very much, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, yeah. Look at really looking forward to learning a little bit more about your background, sort of the origin stories of of Tempa, because you guys are kind of off to the races and doing some doing some uh, cool things in the ENT space. So, uh, yeah. with that said, I recorded um, a very kind of short bio on your background um, at the outset of this interview, but um, let's start there. If you can kind of give us uh, a little bit more of kind of an overview of your professional background before starting the the company, that'd be helpful. Yeah. So by training, I'm a clinical doctor. So um, I was an ENT surgeon, so inosophoric surgeon, practicing in our national health service over here in the UK for about 12 and a half, 13 years. And in that time, I also did a higher degree, a PhD in ear and hearing health. And it was kind of throughout that clinical journey where I guess where 
the origins of Timber Health came about. You know, I've seen multiple patients who were coming in to see me, waiting weeks on end, and you know, using a non-digital pathway. And uh, I use that experience to really found uh, Timber Health. So coming really from a clinical background, so then obviously found uh, Timber Health in you know three and just over three years ago. I was still a full-time doctor, um, and now we've kind of grown and scaled uh, Timber Health from there. Okay, cool. Awesome. Give us a sense uh, for um, for the the technology that you're working on. And maybe um, uh, you, you touched on this already, but like a little bit of the origin story, right? Like what was the sort of the aha moment that really kind of, you know, where Absolutely. you were like, I think I think this is something that I should I should devote more time to. As I said, I, was, I had a, you know, quite a long-standing clinical career. And, you know, really, if, if there, there were probably two aha moments, I think, that happened. And one, I think, was very early in my clinical career. I think I was a junior doctor, so been in practice for about a year, year and a half. And I had always thought at medical school that, you know, I definitely wanted to be a medic, but certainly maybe think outside the box. And my first stint was in uh, in that early stage was in an ear, nose and throat department. And I went from there to then actually do a stint in uh, geriatric um, ward. And so I had this lady who came in and she came in and she was uh, 79 and she was admitted to our geriatric ward for an infection. And she was treated for that infection. But what was interesting and me being the most junior member on the team, I could see she was still confused. She wasn't very engaged with her family. And so being a budding ENT surgeon, I said, well, let me go and have a look in her ears. Looked in her ears and it was actually full of wax. And so I thought, well, okay, this is impacting on her hearing. So let me wheel her down to the department myself. So wheeled her down to her ENT department, removed the wax and did a hearing test. And that hearing test showed that she had age-related hearing loss. And so fitted her with a hearing aid, followed her up six months later, and she was a completely different lady. She was planning her 80th birthday. She was engaged with her family. And, you know, for me, that was that first instant. I was like, okay, well, this real simple intervention has made such a big impact on that lady but you know as you kind of go through your clinical career you've got to jump through a number of hoops and you want to kind of reach the pinnacle of you know your training and but in that journey i kept seeing multiple patients coming in to see me as i said earlier like waiting weeks on end to see a specialist and i was looking at the equipment i was using i was seeing the workforce that i had with me who were available to want to do more, could do more, and looked at this whole journey of saying it wasn't very digital. And so, well, how can I solve for this? And that's kind of where the second aha moment said, well, there isn't anything in the world that has this. And so created this hardware software solution that takes the whole ear and hearing clinic out of the specialist environment into community settings, upskills the workforce like allied health professionals, nurses, nurse practitioners, and makes it a digital journey. So there were lots of um, those factors that played into that, but that in a very condensed, over maybe 12 and a half kind of percolating uh, years kind of came to kind of the origins of Timper. Got it. That's cool. And I'm looking at the site and right, it's it, the, the your website now, it's Timper Health uh, for everyone listening. T Y M P A Health Tempa Health, um, and we'll we'll link to it in the uh, the full write up on Medsider. Great website, by the way. But it's it's in essence sort of like think of it like a, is it best to think of it as like almost like a kiosk a, a little bit, right? Where if this is in a a local community, I could very easily as a patient, if I maybe suspect that I've got some some hearing related issues, I could go 
use the template platform and uh, get access basically to a, you know, sort of an evaluation that much faster than sort of waiting to schedule an appointment, et cetera. Got it. It makes it much more accessible to patients to, you know, on average, it takes someone about 12 to 16 weeks to kind of access care to reach the right person. Um, But also if someone has an ear and hearing issue, the research suggests that it takes them five to seven years to do something about it. Hmm. So making it much more accessible in your primary care setting, in your community pharmacy, it can allow, like you said, to have a quick, fast assessment to say, actually, Scott, you haven't got anything wrong in your hearing, or actually, Scott, we picked something up here from a diagnostic perspective. We advise you should go and see ENT, or you know what? The hearing problem you had was just simple wax. Let's move it there and then. So much more accessible, much more efficient, and equally gives a digital record. And I always liken it to your eye examination. So everyone mm. is used to going and getting your eyes tested, have someone, your optometrist, uh, make an assessment. You know, we should really be doing the same thing with your ears as well. You know, ears are just as important, obviously, as your eyes. And, you know, it's such a big issue. Like, um, some of the things which maybe are unknown, which is, you know, this is a great platform to talk about, is hearing loss. Um, by 2030, it's going to overtake diabetes and cataracts in the top 10 disease burdens because of the aging population. Hmm. Um, we all walk around with, like, you've got headphones in at the moment. <laughs> for hours on end, were the ears actually built for that? Um, affects everybody. And equally, hearing loss is the single biggest modifiable risk factor for prevention of dementia. Um, oh, so it's a big issue, huh. and you know we all have parents, probably people, sibling, like people that we know that have a hearing issue. Um, so I think making it more accessible has really been at the core of what we want to try and achieve. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I had no idea that the the prevalence was accelerating that rapidly. You, yeah. And you bring up a good point, right? You're calling me out with the uh, the headphones in my yeah. ear, but like that is a significant change, right? Versus you know five <laughs> to ten years ago, where nearly everyone on, on the street is walking around with AirPods, right? In their, in their ears or... or, uh, exactly. or yeah, in the ears yeah. where they, they weren't naturally built for that. It's like, uh, you know, when they talk, again, looking at that, when you when you were growing up, like my mum used to say, don't don't sit too close to the TV because it's <laughs> going to strain your eyes. Yeah. It's, it's a similar analogy. You've got hours. And um, really, I think it's one of those things that what we really truly believe we can do at Timper is with the assessments that we do is that actually... If Scott, like you had normal hearing at year one when you had an assessment, at year five, if we saw a deterioration, mm. is there something that we could have picked up earlier to say, actually, you should have an intervention done now to prevent some of those downstream issues? Yeah, I could see the, the value in having sort of that historical uh, record sort of uh, captured, right, right um, over time for sure. Um, Chris, give us a sense for kind of where the company's at in terms of, you know, development, regulatory, commercialization, because um, I think based on my notes, it looks like um, you, you started out, you know, commercializing in Europe, which probably makes the yeah. most sense, right? But give us a high level kind of uh, take on kind of where you're at with, with those those phases. So where we are, definitely. So in the in the UK, we've been pretty successful. We've had in the last two and a half years, the solution has been uh, used on more than 250,000 patients. We see in the UK just under 30,000 patients a month go through a Timper journey. And, you know, what that's enabled us to do is, you know, in the sectors we're in, we're, you know, in multiple sectors. So three of the top five high street audiology practices use us here in the UK. Um, one sector is really accelerated is a community pharmacy mm-hmm. where, and obviously I understand the landscape is different between the UK and the US, but 
more than 100 different community pharmacy chains use this product. Walgreens in the UK probably being the biggest. We're in 300 of their stores. We're in opticians. We're in um, residential homes, so retirement villages. With all of that, what's happened is that um, we've built this validation proof points that over here we have the National Health Service, which is our biggest provider of, of services in the so public system provider. Um, and now because of that evidence base we've generated, they've commissioned us into um, areas of the country so that people don't have to pay for the service, but actually it can be delivered as part of our public system, which is similar to your value-based care yep. model. And, you know, really in the UK, we're being seen as kind of the gold standard, I guess, of assessments in the community because of the digital platform that overlays, which allows a specialist to give advice and guidance remotely. Um, so from that perspective, we've commercialized um, really well in the in the UK, and we've actually really only scratched the surface. Um, from a regulatory standpoint, um, you know, we still we sit as a class one medical device, and with that, in the US, we're FDA um, registered, five ten k exempt. So we still sit in that ballpark because of the assessments that it does. Mm-hmm. I think over time, um, because of the database of patients that we've seen and the data that we're obviously building in machine learning record into that so you know we sit on what i say pretty confidently is the world's largest bank of ear and hearing healthcare images and videos obviously we don't have the identifiable patient information but what we do have is these images and videos but a history related to that patient as well as the hearing test and looking at that over time can provide some real insights you know ai is an extremely hot topic but we already have an algorithm which will tell you is that eardrum normal abnormal poor quality or is it wax and we'll start to go to condition analysis from a regulatory point that will then move into its a medical device in its own right we're kind of at that juncture now where we know that we've got a proven model a you know a, a use case and product market fit here in the uk and um, we're actually launching in the us and we already have boots on the ground in the US and we've got two big pilots underway as well. So our next market to come and commercialize in is in the US. Got it. Got it. So you'll push forward. You mentioned you're kind of just, you know, from your perspective, just barely scratching the surface in the UK. So you'll push forward with, you know, various commercialization efforts there while also launching, uh, you know, continuing moving forward to launch here in the US. Okay, cool. And for everyone listening, that's, you know, if you're, if you're kind of um, consuming this after the fact, we're recording this in, uh, in Q3 of 2023, just to kind of set the, give everyone a kind of a, a an idea of kind of uh, the, the time frame here. Um, and Chris, I, I didn't, I didn't mention it, or I didn't, uh, we didn't talk talk about this when we were talking about what the history of Tempa. But you started. It looks like I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, which we'll link to in the um, write up for Meds on on Medsider. But is it you, you started working on this at the fall of 17? Then, yeah, I think yeah. I think it's it's actually. I would probably say a little bit later than that, but what you have to do, like when you have this idea, probably similar to in the US, but you have to set, you have to put up a shell entity in the in company's house, we call it, where you have to set up a shell entity that there's a company. Yeah. But actually, as I said, you know, I was still practicing as a doctor just over three years ago. Okay. So I was trying, I was at a moment in time when I was full-time doctor trying to finish writing my PhD. I think my second child was... <laughs> born and I was like there's so many spinning plates here officially I guess three and a bit years ago fully focused uh probably three and a half years ago fully focused on Timper and okay. you know, since then, with anything in life I think you can't do 
too many things at one point. I think when you focus your mind, then actually that has really allowed us to to scale and obviously um, grow at the pace that we have grown. But yeah, I guess officially, yeah, the the company shell was there, but nothing was well. Things were happening, but not at yeah. the scale. Got it. Um, got it. And you've been and you've been sort of like you know solely focused on on, on Tempa. Uh, versus practicing for about three and a half years or so, something like yeah, that. Yeah, got exactly. it, got it. Okay, cool. I think one of those things you want to make sure you do one thing really well. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, I think at that moment, it's almost the right thing to do. Yeah, cool. Um, by the way, this is a, a total side note, but you mentioned com- uh, Company House, or yeah. is that what it was called? I had just heard about this. Um, was it earlier this week or last week? I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about, um, it was, it's a startup oriented podcast kind of for, for general, gen- in gen- like general business category. And uh and they referenced um, this private company, I think that's based in Scotland, but does like an incredible amount of, they're, they're private, but they do like, an, it's, a, it's an incredible business. They just crank on, on revenue and it's it, it yeah. extremely profitable. And they were like, they got all this data from Company House. I was like, I had no idea that this yeah. was even even, yeah, even a thing, you know? Uh, in, like, in England, you can um, look up any company. Yeah. <laughs> company's house. And yeah. it has, and you have to report your financials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that, that's amazing. Um, all right, cool. Let's uh, let's sort of step inside the the MedSider time machine, as I like to call it, for the next maybe twenty minutes or so, and learn a little bit more about sort of the, the evolution of uh, uh, Tempa and kind of what you what you've learned along the way, kind of going from you know clinician, academic ish, right, with your yeah. with your PhD into into you know the, the the business world, running a running a startup. So with that said, um, let's take us back to the, the very early days of Tempa, right? Like maybe call it two thousand eighteen ish timeframe. Yeah. It's probably when you're working on your, the first iterations of your platform. Yeah. When you think about that process, right? Going kind of from pre-alpha to alpha, maybe to the early beta kind of uh, designs. I'm sure you probably iterated quite a bit on what yeah. the product looked like, what it did, uh, how it functioned, et cetera. Are there, are there a couple of things that, you know, when you think about back to that time that like were really impactful, instrumental, uh, things that you did right, things that you wish maybe you did differently, uh, maybe frame that up for maybe other other entrepreneurs that are kind of in that, in that, same, that same spot with their startup? Yeah. And I think, yeah, at that early moment in time, I think what I spent a lot of time thinking about was, you know, it was the product itself. And I was like, well, what are, you know, with anything innovative, you've got to kind of change the mindset of how things are currently being done. And so I had this, you know, in my mind, I was like, how do you, how am I going to get a procedure or part of a service, which I am doing years of training to actually get it to a point where I'm going to get someone else who we train up appropriately to do part of that. And then I see the things that I should be seeing, like, for example, in my scenario, patients I'm going to operate on. And so I spent the first half kind of really understanding that as the problem, because obviously people always talk about the problem and it can be in different facets of like, what is your total addressable market? And, you know, that you use a lot for funding. But for me, it was like, if you develop something, how is it actually going to solve a real world issue and so from a product perspective i said well can i kind of make this a bit more generic but i I was thinking okay the problem is okay people have a problem with hearing how do you assess someone's hearing you need to look in the ear how can you look in the ear um properly if there's something in the way like wax or infection then you can't examine the ear and you can't do a hearing test if you haven't got a clean ear so i was like well how do you that's 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 the process so then my I broke that down and said, well, the big issue here is like that bit in the middle of like, how can you examine the ear properly? And I went way back in time. And obviously the, in my, when I was writing my PhD, my first chapter was like the evolution of the otoscope, which was 
how you the device which you use to examine the ear and it hadn't actually changed since the 13th century and what i did was like well how can you do some intervention with that and then the first iteration was very simply how do you look in the ear and if there's something in the way how do you remove it and so what i went about was in my own hospital had uh, there was like a innovation prize that you could win so i applied for that and i think it was something like five thousand pounds to get a very base so i won that but then had a very basic proof of concept which then you could talk to people and say and with any kind of pitching if you've got something tangible to show it just helps people understand it and i think that continued to happen as we've developed the product showing it live so I really focused on the product and kept my head down to think and, and just really went for feedback from colleagues um, of what they thought it would do. And, you know, some colleagues were like, what is this? This is, you know, like you're never going to do anything with this. But others who got it saying, well, OK, I understand where you're going. And I think it's trying to find those people who because whenever you go and pitch an idea, there's always going to be people who will be like, you know, not in that same mindset of you're going to try and change the way things are delivered. But the ones that are, they can become really, really valuable to you. And I think I had a group of colleagues who um, really supported me in my hospital at the beginning that helped me evolve that idea and thought. And really for the first 12 to 18 months, didn't care about making any noise about we're in stealth mode, going to come out and it was just get our heads down on, on product. And I think once I had that first iteration, I then went out and got some grant money again small amounts to help evolve it to make it look like something a bit more tangible and then following that then obviously went to kind of raise raise the first bit of money got it the point that you made about um sort of not letting sort of the the detractors sort of uh, become too big of a, a hurdle or a stumbling block that could be you know sort of a as you probably know a kind of a careful balance right between yeah. using that feedback to help you gauge whether or not this is even worth working yeah. on right um because you're obviously a, a busy successful clinician and yeah. you know it's gonna you're gonna have to, you're, you're carving out time right to work on this project and if it just doesn't have legs or there's nothing there then you know it might be a, a kind of a foolish endeavor versus this problem that you're trying to solve that you know is real Right. Yeah. But you can't, you know, you, you've got a sort of, you know, you've got sort of a, a cohort of, of people that are, are saying, yeah, this is actually a really good idea. Any, any, any thoughts around how to, how to balance kind of those, those two worlds? Well, I think if you're in the camp where everyone said it was, and you've got to choose the right people that you want people who are going to be super honest with you. Mm-hmm. There, there's no point in having people who are going to, you know, you're just going to say, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> and um, I think, when you if it was in the camp where everyone was like no this isn't worthwhile then obviously you have to really check yourself and think okay this is not this is not where we should go but i think for me looking back you know the majority were could understand and see where this could go and if i really broke it down the and this happens in any innovation as well or change in the way things are done some of the naysayers were probably more worried about is this going to take away business if you're going to give it to someone else what am i losing and in the fullness of time what has been shown is that actually the patients then end up in an ent's department are the ones which and particularly in the us and in the uk ones which they can do much more fruitful surgery on that are needed to be there like rather than the simple cases do the cases that you're trained for that need an operation and equally if, if people were financially driven those are the cases which you're going to build for more yep. if you were scratching beneath the surface maybe that was the naysayers saying oh you're going to take these patients which are my 
bread and butter. But now in the fullness of time, it's actually, it's actually been better for the system. Yeah. And ultimately for me, it was always what's better for the patient. Right. Go and see a specialist when you need to see a patient specialist. You don't need to see a specialist for, you know, some of the more simple cases. Yeah. Hearing you describe that, it almost, it kind of reminds me of people that are afraid of, of AI, right. And, and what, it, what it may do to, you know, either take their job away, et cetera. But I think most people that have a healthy view of AI at this point, almost see it as a, as a productivity tool, right? Like I can five X, 10 X my, my production or my, my, and become that much more efficient. And I, I think you, you bring up a really good point around, like, if you've got a group of people that are the naysayers, right, or the detractors, and, and maybe even they're, they're otherwise you, you, you would, you know, respect their feedback, kind of understanding the why, right? Why are they giving you this type of feedback? Is it, is it, you know, understanding kind of the the incentives or the motivation and is it, is it feedback that is specific to your product or is it more, is there more something else there, right? That they're more, maybe more fearful of, or, or, you know, there there are other, there are other, you know, reasons to, (laughs) that are, that are, you know, some of those naysayers who, and obviously they were friends and colleagues, so they Mm -hmm. weren't naysayers for the sake of it. They're trying to give useful feedback. Yeah. Now full circle, they're like, Krish, this was definitely the right thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I mean it's it's so this this topic is so crucial, right? Because like any almost any successful kind of venture, you're going to mm. be up against these, you know, th- this type of feedback early on, you know. And and in some in some some scenarios, it may be, you know, the product may not be worth working on. But yeah. in a lot of cases, if it's a if it's you know if you're solving for a real need, right, that ultimately is going to help a patient, right? In a, in a number of different, you know, factors, it's, it's probably worth working on, right? Yeah, so, um... Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.